I think what we've discovered through this series is that our staff doesn't like people. Um, and I feel responsible for that. We're, we're beginning some retraining programs this week so that they actually like people. Um, but pr- probably some of you are, are similar. We, we have rules and space and bubbles and personal space and, and people that we want to rub shoulders with and we don't want to, people we want to rub elbows with and we don't want to rub elbows with. You know, we, we all kind of have those personal standards. Uh, we've, been, we've been in this series wrapping up today called Close. And, and yes, there is a too close in, in some situations, but we, we've been talking about the need to be close to Jesus and to be close to people relationally, not, not always physically, uh, but certainly relationally. And hopefully this is more than just a series. Hopefully we don't wrap it up today and then not think about it anymore. But our desire is that this becomes a part of the characteristic of who we are as individuals and as a church that we're constantly asking, am I becoming more like Jesus? Do I think more like Jesus? Do I act more like Jesus? Do I love more like Jesus? Do I forgive more like Jesus? And then, and, and then that question of, am I moving closer to people? Because Jesus loves people. Uh, and, and the reality is Jesus spent uh, most of his time on earth around people. He was always moving towards people while he was doing ministry here on earth. The truth is, you and I can't be close to Jesus and not be close to people. Those two things go together. You can't be close to Jesus and not be close to people. And if you question that, just read the stories about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're at the beginning of the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. We call them the Gospels because they're the good news about the life of Jesus. When you read those, especially him as an adult, you see him always moving towards people. He's always in conversations with people. Uh, He's always drawn towards people. Uh, Many of the stories of Jesus have him going from point A to point B, like he was going from this city to that city, he was going from this place to that place, and he's walking along, and then all of a sudden Jesus stops traveling and starts talking to some random stranger. Just starts having a dial, having a conversation, and there had to be somebody in the disciples, one of them uh, that, that was just a little bit OCD, that was thinking, all right, we're getting behind schedule, we're supposed to be in the next town at 1230, we have lunch appointments. Never bothered Jesus. Wherever Jesus was going, he was drawn toward people, so the disciples were always being pulled towards people because they were following Jesus. Jesus was often in a crowd of people. Guess where the disciples were? They were in the middle of the crowd. Maybe not because they loved the crowd, but because they were trying to follow Jesus, and Jesus just kept going towards people. When you read the Gospels, you'll find often that stories begin with a phrase like, and there was a crowd following Jesus. One point in the story of Jesus, he's on one side of a lake, And he gets in a boat, and there's a crowd of people on that side of the lake. And he sails to the other side of the lake. And when he gets to the other side of the lake, the Bible said there was a crowd of people there too. This is who Jesus was. And and yes, there were times that he got away and he prayed alone. And and he had some solitary time and some rest time. But the, the general characteristic of his life was being drawn towards people. Sometimes the disciples would even say, Jesus, can you send the people away? We're tired of people. We're tired of peopling for today. Can you let them go home? He, he's teaching 
five, ten thousand people at one point, and the disciples say, can you send them home, let them get something to eat? And Jesus says, no, you feed them, find something for them to eat. We're going to stay with the people. We're going to stay in the crowd. We've mentioned before, Jesus is always going to someone's house for dinner. He's always having private conversation. He's going to a party at somebody's house. His first miracle is at a wedding, tons of people around. Jesus apparently was so approachable, he was such a people person in this sense, that people began just to come up to him and ask him questions. Ask him to do things for them. Ask him, ask him to help somebody that they cared about. Jesus, would you come to my house? I have this person in my house that needs help. Jesus takes off towards their house. So when we're following Jesus, we are naturally and normally going to be moving towards people because Jesus is always moving towards people. Last week we said that a part of that, a part of being close to Jesus and close to people is what we do here at Journey, like what we're doing this morning, is that Jesus has a desire that His followers would be close to each other. That they would encourage one another, that they would help each other out with struggles and burdens. They'd pray for one another. They'd help each other grow in their relationship to Jesus, help each other understand the Bible and and what God wants for their lives. So there would be a closeness, there would be relational connection among the people who worship God and and follow Jesus. You know, once, once we've committed our life to Christ, we believe He's the Savior, He died for us, He rose again, forgives our sins, we come into relationship with Him, then a byproduct of that is that we would be in relationship with one another. But Jesus' teaching about relationship went beyond that because His ideal, His, his plan for His people was never that we would just all get together and be really close and forget about everybody else in the world. It was never that we find our church and we lock the doors and and we get it just the way we like it and we sort of all live together and we don't worry about anybody else. The other close to people that Jesus commands, demands of our lives, is that you and I would consistently be moving close to people who don't believe what we believe yet. Don't follow the Jesus that we follow yet. Don't practice the same lifestyle maybe that we practice, or don't think the same things are important that we think are important. There would be a part of our lives that would move close to people who need the Jesus that we've all discovered. Think about what we say we believe as Christians. We say that we believe there is a God who made us, created us, and loved us even when we messed up, forgives us. As a matter of fact, sent His Son to to take our sin and our penalty, to die, to rise again, to, to offer us eternal life. We believe there's a God that will wipe the past away, wipe all of our mistakes away, who will love us in spite of who we've been or who we may be tomorrow, who will love us with this depth of love. And then gives us fulfillment and purpose and plans for, the, for our lives on this earth. Like He directs us. He's with us when we go through struggles. He strengthens us. He gives us peace. He, he gives us a sense of joy. He reminds us that we matter. We believe there is a God, one God, who sees us that way. And not only that, we believe that by trusting in Jesus, by knowing Jesus and following Him, 
that we're going to go to heaven when we die. We're, we're going to spend eternity with God. That's what we say we believe. And if so, wouldn't we want as many people as possible to believe that? Wouldn't we want as many people as possible to know the joy and forgiveness and love and peace and eternal life that we claim to have found by being followers of Jesus? Acts chapter 1, which we're going to read from in just a minute, it's the fifth book of the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. It's in the YouVersion app if you're following along. It'll be on the screens or you can find it in your Bible. Acts chapter 1 is closing out the story of Jesus being here on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus' life on earth. And then Acts 1 opens up, Jesus is still here. He died, he rose again, he spent some time with his followers, reminding them, yes, I rose again, I am the Savior, I, I am God's Son, keep believing, keep trusting in me. And he's getting ready to go back to heaven. This is what happens in Acts chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 6. Then they, the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this was not the first time they had asked that sort of question. And it was not the first time they had that question, even when they didn't ask it. And basically, the, the question was around who was in charge of that part of the world. You, you, you probably know the Romans were taking over everything. That's why we call it the Roman Empire. They're taking over the world uh, in the first century. And that included Jerusalem and Israel and the Middle East, a, a, a piece of land that Jewish people felt like belonged to them. And it was their birthright, and God had promised them. And so it angered them that the Romans were in charge. Even though the Romans let them kind of govern themselves and, and let them worship however they wanted to worship, it was still a problem for Jewish people that the Romans were even there. And the disciples wanted them kicked out. Like they wanted Israel to be in charge again. So they had asked this question before. Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven. He has just a few seconds left and they bring it up again. This is what happens in verse 7. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So one last shot, Jesus, to ask this question, when is it going to happen? And Jesus' response is, that's not important right now. I'm not going to tell you. Instead, with the few seconds that I have left in front of you, I want you to tell other people about Jesus. I, I want you to be witnesses. I want you to tell people what you've seen and heard and experienced. I want you to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. That's what you need to know, not this question that you think is so pressing. All of us have questions like that. Probably if you and I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation, um, we could both share, like, this is something I've always want, wondered. I've always wanted to ask God, fill in the blank. I've always had this question, 
Why did this happen? God, why did you do it this way? Why is there suffering? I've always wanted to know, why is there suffering? Why, why did he create a world where there could be suffering? We all have those sort of questions, right? What happened to the dinosaurs? We all have those questions. Did Lee Harvey Oswald shoot Kennedy or was there a conspiracy? I'd like to know. We've all got something on our list, maybe two or three, that we think, I really want to know this information. And if Jesus were here physically and you asked that question, I think you would get the same response the disciples got. I think Jesus would say to you and to me, I'm not going to answer that right now. You need to be my witnesses because there's too many people who don't know Jesus yet. I'm not going to tell you that specific answer. It's not a bad question. Maybe I'll answer it when you get to heaven. I'm not going to answer it right now because right now you're here and there are people all around you who don't yet know who I am and I need you to tell them. That's what's most important right now, not getting all of the answers to our questions. So our calling to be close to people, yes, involves our connection to one another in the church, but it also involves our connection to people who aren't yet in the church, who aren't yet followers of Jesus, who need to know what what many of you already know, that Jesus changes everything, that Jesus changes our lives and our, and our hope and, our, and our, our ability to find peace and our, and, and our eternal life. Jesus sends his followers out on a mission to be close to people who don't know him yet. Now, what does that mean? What, how would we get started doing that? Let, let me offer a couple of suggestions. One is begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. And I know that's maybe the preacher answer to everything, but, but it's a vital answer when it comes to this. When it comes to people coming to faith in Jesus, there is so much about that that you and I don't control. We can't change people's hearts. We can't change people's minds, really. We can't convince people that they need to come to faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God does that in people's hearts. The Spirit of God opens people's eyes. You and I can't manipulate people or tell the story just right. It's a spiritual act when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, and you and I need to engage that spiritual act first by prayer. So, so what, what do we pray for? Uh, I'd say first pray for yourself. Right? Get in the pattern of praying that God would would first of all make you aware of when you have an opportunity to share your faith or be a witness or or share something about your spiritual story. That He would give you eyes to see and ears to hear when that door opens a little bit. When, When somebody you're talking to would be receptive to you having a spiritual conversation with them, with you sharing what Jesus has meant in your life, pray that you would see those opportunities and then pray that you would have the courage to step through them. Right? There's two realities. One is that we live our life at such a hectic pace, such a busy pace. Right? We come on Sunday, we sing and we worship, and then Monday to Saturday, right, it's pedal to the metal. Matter of fact, if you ask me in the hall, hey, how was your week? I'm going to tell you, it was busy. If I ask you, how was your week? You know what you're going to say? Most of you are going to say, oh, it was busy. It's just what we say because life is hectic and busy. And when life is hectic and busy, 
we often miss those little opportunities that Jesus made so much of. We, we often don't hear someone say something that, that we could turn into a spiritual direction, or we could pray for them, or we could share part of our story and what Jesus has done in our story and what Jesus could do in their story. So we have this hectic pace, and, and then the second thing that happens is we get the opportunity and we hesitate. Right? We, we, we pull back. We, we wait. So begin to pray, God, give me those opportunities. Help me see them when they happen, and then help me step into them. There's, there's one prayer that I find God consistently answers and it's the one where I pray for God to help me be obedient. If He's already told me to do something, and I say, God, help me to do the thing you've already told me to do, I find God responds to that. God gives, gives strength and courage when I just pray to obey what He's already told me. And that's all we're praying for. God, I want to be the witness that you've called me to be. I want to help other people come to know what, I've, what I already know, what I've already experienced in my life. To help me obey, help me speak, and be bold, and have courage. So pray for yourself. Paul did this. Paul, one of the greatest missionaries ever, arguably the greatest missionary ever, shared the gospel, planted churches. People came to know Jesus because of Paul. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's writing to some friends at a church in Ephesus, and he says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul recognized the power of prayer. As great an evangelist or missionary as Paul was, he realized, I need people praying for me so that I would do this boldly and consistently and I wouldn't shrink back when I had the opportunity to share about my spiritual journey. Pray for me. You and I need that. Whether it's us praying for ourselves or whether it's getting other people, would you pray for me? I, there's somebody I need to share the gospel with. There's somebody I need to tell about my story and my relationship to Jesus. Would you pray for me? Paul, Paul believed that the Spirit of God would give him the right words to say. Some of us have been in church uh, long enough and, and have been involved long enough that, that we know there are tools that can help you share your faith, and, and many of them are very useful. There's acrostics and diagrams and things you draw on a napkin and ways to explain salvation. Many of them very helpful. I've memorized many of them. I've used some of them. Very helpful. That doesn't replace the Holy Spirit motivating us and giving us what to say in each moment. There's no diagram for the every moment that you're going to encounter when you could share your... There's just not. There's not an acrostic that fits everyone. You know what fits everyone? The Spirit of God. Like the Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs to be said. So pray, God help me see that moment... And then help me step into that moment. And then, God, give me the right words to say. Because I don't always know the words to say. Pray for yourself. Second area of prayer. Pray for specific people who need Jesus in your life. Some names are coming to mind already. You already know some people. 
That, that you want God to do a work in their life. You're concerned about their spiritual condition. You're, you're concerned about where they're going to spend eternity. And maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor that you know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's an adult child that's out of the home, but you're praying, God, would you bring them to yourself? Would you, would you do a work in their heart? Form the pattern, the habit of praying for one or two or three specific people. Rather than, God, help people to know Jesus. That's a fine prayer. God, help all the missionaries. That's a fine prayer. But God, I am praying specifically for this person that they would come to know Jesus the way I've come to know Jesus. That, that you would work in their heart the way that you have worked in my heart. Pray for yourself. Pray for specific people. I, I watched a message uh, a few weeks ago. Ed Stetzer, if any of you know, he was preaching like a year ago. And uh, Ed used to work for Lifeway. He was telling about a survey that Lifeway commissioned to a publishing house, they have bookstores, that sort of thing. A survey that Lifeway commissioned to find out what Christians pray for. Right? People who self-identified as, I am a Christian. And so they gave them a list of things. Have you prayed for this in the last six months? There's a long list. Yes, I pray for that. The last six, pray for that, pray for that. I won't go through the whole survey. Here's the finding that stood out to me. More people who called themselves Christians in this survey said they prayed to win the lottery than said they prayed for somebody to come to know Jesus. I'm not making this up. Really. People identify as Christians in the last six months have prayed more often to win the lottery than to see somebody come to know Jesus. And pray specifically, God, I want you to work in this person's life, in this person's life. And, and if you can pray for 50 people, great. I'm thinking you're not going to be consistent praying for 50 people. Who are the two, three people that God's putting on your heart right now that you need to begin to lift up and ask God to do a work in their life? Pray for yourself. Pray specifically for people who need to know Jesus. Third suggestion, trust the Holy Spirit's power. Trust that the Spirit of God wants people to come to know Jesus more than you or I ever will. The Spirit of God wants lives changed. The Spirit of God wants people to discover the love of God more than we do. So trust that He is at work when we begin to pray and share our faith more consistently. Most of us are, are a little nervous. We're a little hesitant. We feel like we don't have the right words. Right? We don't know everything about the Bible. We're worried about the questions they may ask. We don't have a seminary degree. What if, what if they ask something I can't answer? It's really simple. Say, I don't know. I can't answer that. Like, it's a real simple answer when you don't know. I don't know. Some of us allow those hesitations to keep us from sharing our faith. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to wait because there's a spirit of power is coming. It's going to give you the power to do what I'm going to ask you to do. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And He's here. We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit's power anymore. The Spirit of God lives in us if we are followers of Jesus. And you and I have to trust that His power goes to work on our behalf when we begin to share our spiritual experience with somebody. Trust 
the Holy Spirit. Another suggestion. If you're a follower of Jesus, know your story. We all have a story. I mean, Jesus changed all of our lives. All of us who have committed our life to Jesus, believed He's the Son of God and He died and rose for our sins, admitted that we had disobeyed God, received His forgiveness. All of us have a story, an eternal, life-changing story. Know what yours is. Take some time to think about that time when Jesus changed your life, who you were before, the circumstances surrounding how you came to faith in Jesus, what Jesus has been doing in your life ever since. And then figure out how to share that in a couple of minutes so that if you get the opportunity to say, hey, can I, can I tell you what my spiritual life means to me? That you'll be able to do it. For, for some people, it helps to write it down. I just, just to clarify, this is what I would share if I saw an open door and I had the opportunity to share with somebody. You don't have to include all the details of your life, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Save something for your therapist, all right? You don't have to include every detail about your life, but know your story, because your story matters. You went from being dead spiritually to receiving the love and grace of God and coming alive and gaining eternal life. Your story matters. Don't minimize your story because God will use your story. Sometimes we just need to remember what our story is so that we can convey it to somebody else that we care about. Another thought. Get in the habit of inviting people to church as we're, as we're moving closer to people. Just get in the habit of sharing about what God does for you through your church and inviting them to come and join you, to sit with you. Meet them at the front. Have a space for them. Take them to lunch afterwards. Just get in the habit of inviting But I, I know that for some of us, Sharing our story or sharing our faith is a little bit intimidating. And so maybe as you're working up to that or maybe alongside of that, as you're sharing your story, you would say, hey, I'd love for you to come visit our church. I'll meet you. We'll sit together. Let's worship together. You're going to hear about Jesus at our church. Why don't you come with me? Just get in, in the habit. You, no one is offended when you do that. Sometimes we think people will be offended. What if they get mad? What if they get offended? They may say no, but saying no is not getting offended. They may say that's not my thing. No, hardly anyone is going to get angry at you because you gave them a simple invitation to something that matters a lot to you. It matters to you, and so you want to invite them to be a part. We, we often think... Well, everybody goes to church, right? Everybody has a church. It's, statistically, it's just not true anymore. The overwhelming majority of people in Walton County aren't at any church this morning right now. They aren't at any church. And the overwhelming majority of people who live in Walton County won't be at a church next Sunday or the Sunday after that or the Sunday after that. The idea of a Bible belt is quickly eroding, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's quickly eroding, and many of the people that you interact with and you care about, they're your friends. Many of them don't have a relationship with Jesus, and the start of that could be a simple invitation 
from you. Like I said, hardly anyone gets offended by that. And, and it's the most effective invite that a person can receive. We try to do a lot of different invites here at our church. We do some emails. Uh, we do some mailers sometimes, just sort of send it out to all the, all the mailboxes to let everybody know that we're here. We talked about a billboard at some point. We use social media a lot. None of that is as effective as someone you know inviting you to something that matters to them. None, none of those. They're good. They, they can supplement But the greatest invite is when you ask somebody to join you at worship because it is important to you. That's primarily the way Journey has grown. Um, I said in the first service that nobody just drives by our church and happens to pull in, right? (laughs) Unless they're doing something illegal back here, right? Nobody just stumbles across this building. And then I found out afterwards there was actually somebody in the service this morning that did that at the 9.30 service. They kind of creeped down the drive, and the parking team kept watching them because they were going so slowly. And they said, is this a church? And they actually came to church. So one person did that. In four years, one person has found us. Even at the other place. Those of you who worshipped us at the other place. We met in the back. You couldn't even see the cars. Nobody knew we were back there. Nobody drove by and went, I'm going to go to church there. It's like only one person has ever driven by where we are now and thought, I'm going to go there. Most of you are here because somebody said, hey, I really enjoy our church. Would you come with me? Hey, we like going to journey. Would you come with me? It is the most effective invite and at least a step in the direction of being witnesses for Jesus may be. I'm just going to get in the habit, people that I care about, telling them why I go to journey. I mean, all of you are here for a reason. It's different for for everybody. Everybody has different reasons, things that are important. But but you're here for some reason. Something keeps you coming back, right? It's it's not how tall and good-looking the pastor is, I'm guessing, right? I mean, there's something that keeps you coming back. Just... Figure out what that is and tell people, hey, this is why I go. I think you would like it. This is why my family goes. This is what my kids like. I think your kids would like it too. Just get in the habit of extending an invitation. Last suggestion. My practical, specific suggestion. Identify your circles. Identify your circles. Where has God put you where there are unbelievers that you could have an influence on. You could be part of the chain of events that causes some of them to come to know Jesus and changes their eternal life forever and ever. You you could be part of that. But sometimes we're moving in and out of our, 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 our daily work and we just don't think about it. But who are those people where you work? What's that circle like? When Jesus was talking to the disciples... He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was like these concentric circles that he was calling them to. And he started with right where they were. And yes, there's a, there's a global initiative that is a part of this call. But it also includes right, just start where you are and see how God expands your influence and your reach. Who are those people where you work? Who are those people at your school? 
Who are those people in your neighborhood that maybe you already know? You could be a part of influencing them for Jesus and for eternity. Who are the other parents on your kid's sports team that God's saying, look, I put you there for a reason. You're not there just to do baseball. You're not there just for soccer. I have put you there because that's a circle. That's a group of people that you need to help towards Jesus with your story, with the Spirit's power, with, with your invitation. Think about the... Um, Think about the question the disciples asked in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> they want Rome gone. Right? They, they want to get rid of the Roman influence and empire over where they are. But you can make a pretty good argument that Rome actually contributed to the spread of the gospel in the first century. There were times Rome was oppressive. But much of what Rome did in the first century actually enabled the gospel to spread faster. For example, as the, as the Roman Empire grew, larger cities began to spring up. Centers of trade, commerce, travel. So people were beginning to move towards cities in many places of the Roman Empire. So when Paul showed up in a city, there were more people to share the gospel with which allowed churches to be planted in a lot of these cities and the gospel to keep expanding. It was the Romans, to a large degree, that built infrastructure from city to city. They wanted good roads so that, so that commerce, with trade, would take place. There would be more wealth, more people to tax. So they wanted easy routes for trade and commerce to take place. They also wanted quick ways for their military to get somewhere in case there was a problem. They wanted to get their military over there and get it shut down quickly. Because of the infrastructure that Rome built, missionaries like Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Peter, they got to use those same roadways to advance the gospel. You see Paul traveling all over that part of the world. Some of that was because the Romans had made ways to travel. Because Rome was the only superpower of the time, there wasn't a lot of war going on. You, you studied in, in your history classes the Pax Romana, right? The Peace of Rome. That period when Rome was so powerful, nobody dared challenge them. And there was this peaceful time, which meant as the gospel spread, as missionaries moved out, they didn't have to, they didn't have to worry about moving around a war somewhere. They didn't have to worry, well, these two countries are fighting, so we can't go there. Thanks to Hellenism in the Roman Empire, there was almost a universal language. Almost all of that part of the world was now speaking Greek. New Testament's written in Greek. The letters of Paul, they're, ri they're written in Greek. The Old Testament gets translated to Greek about 150 years before Jesus, somewhere around there. So we have this one language that the gospel is written in, the Bible is written in, so when people stand up and read it in that language, wherever they read it, people understood it. Wherever God has put you, He's called you to be a witness, and He's paving the roads for that as well. He's using whatever circumstance you're in, even circumstances you may not want to be in. 
I'm trying to get out of that job. My family's driving me crazy. All of that may be true. But God has put you in a specific place for specific purposes. And one of the reasons is so that you would be a witness. So that you would share your story. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't leave today without identifying some specifics. These are three people. This is one circle in my Maybe write it down on, your, on the card you were handed when you came in. This is for me what I'm going to be praying about. This is where I'm going to look for opportunities. Because you have the power of God's Spirit at work in you to obey Jesus' last command. And any other question you may have as a follower of Jesus comes under this command. Would you just be my witnesses? We'll sort it all out when you get to heaven. We'll have a powwow maybe. Maybe Jesus will answer all our questions when we get to heaven. For now, be my witnesses. God, thank you that Jesus so clearly gave us this command at the end of his time on earth. Could have addressed a lot of other things. Could have solved a lot of problems. Could have given us answers to all of our questions. He didn't. He just said, you got a limited time on earth. There are people who need Jesus. Be witnesses. So God, help us not to move in and out of our weeks and days and circles without being reminded that there are people who need Jesus in my circles. There are people who need the peace that I've found in Jesus. There are people who need the hope that I've found in Jesus. There are people who need a church family like I've found to encourage them and pray for them. But God, help us to be bold. Help us to trust that your spirit is at work when we obey you. Not to shrink back, but to be used by you for eternal changes in the lives of people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.